kept looking back at Brian. I was hoping he would tell you to sit down because I don't want you to think of me as bossy. It's like, who's that guy telling me what to do? Sit down. Oh, I don't know. Most of you guys don't know me, or perhaps you don't. My name is Buzz Hannon, and I serve here as the pastor for Young Adults and Families. Good to see you, my brother, this morning. Uh, not only are you thinking I'm bossy, you're probably also thinking, that's a nice shirt. Thank you. Uh, my wife picked it out for me. I'm not allowed to choose my own clothes, and uh, that's because my taste is terrible. Uh, I recommend you have Tara choose your own clothes as well. You're also probably thinking, young adults, that guy looks old. He's got gray in his beard, and that's just stress, you guys. I'm not actually old. In fact, we'll talk about that today, the way that the, cr- the crush of this world is weighty, and life can be hard. I don't know. I don't know where you find yourself this morning, but I think today's word is for you. I really do. Um, growing up, I had this giant fear that one day, I don't even know why I had this fear, because I didn't think that I was going to be a pastor but I was afraid that I would be singing in church with a microphone on, which it's happening, right? And then the sound team would accidentally turn my microphone volume on, and then everybody could hear me sing. I don't know if you have worried about this, but I worried about this. Kind of weird. I don't don't know why. Uh, Probably I worried about that because it happened to my pastor at church growing up. Pastor Legvold was a great man and a great Bible teacher. And one Sunday, he was making a joyful noise unto the Lord. You know what I mean by that? (laughs) Not good singing. That's why he wasn't on the worship team. I prefer to sing, like, quietly, you know, so my neighbor can't hear my joyful noise. It's not that good. Um, Pastor Legal was singing, and then he sneezed, and it blew out the whole speaker system and the service. (laughs) It was like a big deal. It was traumatizing to me as a kid. I don't ever want that to happen. I don't want to sing in church. I don't want to speak in church. Nothing. Nothing. I want to sit there in the crowd, and I want to listen, and I want to learn incremental knowledge in my head week by week. Pastor Legvold was a great Bible teacher, and he believed that if he could just teach us the truth of the Scriptures every week over the course of our life, finally one day it would get into our heads and we would be able to, to act rightly. This is a little bit of a caricature of Pastor Legvold's style because it's actually similar to what we do here at Three Crosses. We believe that if we teach the Scriptures, if we make God's Word plain, that it will change our hearts and our minds and our lives. We believe that. It's true. But as a kid, um, kind of being an introvert, growing up in church, going to VBS, going to kids' church, learning the Bible verses, going to private Christian school, uh, following the rules, learning the stuff, the do's and the don'ts and the checklist, it was very easy for me. It was normal. It was natural. I thought if I just learned more stuff, my life would be fine, right? If you know more facts, my life would be good. And that's what serving the Lord is all about, isn't it? Knowing more things about the Bible, learning more things, how to live rightly. Now that I'm old and gray, I realize that very often we can know the right thing in our head and still feel lost that the hurt and the pain that's in our heart doesn't go away when you learn the right thing, when you know the right fact, when you know the right tidbit of knowledge. Sometimes our heart still hurts. And if that's where we're at this morning, I believe this word is for you because my heart is hurting today. I know many of you guys are in the same boat. We all walk this world. We're all marked by that pain and that suffering. You know how I know that knowing more stuff doesn't always make your life perfect? I've proved this empirically, scientifically, because I'm a parent, right? 
I have four boys, ages eight, six, four, and two. If you're looking to borrow some boys for a little bit of time, see how it goes, you let me know. You text me, we'll throw my number up on the screen later, you know. Hit me up, you can watch my kids so I can take a break, man, because eight, six, four, two, that's a lot of kids. Uh, it's four kids, to be precise. And uh, as a parent, I know that if my kids just knew the right stuff, they would act right. Well, you know what? They know the right stuff. They know the rules. They know what they're supposed to do. But they want stuff anyway. Sometimes kids want crazy stuff, like, I want to eat chocolate chip cookies for dinner. This is not a good plan, right? If you don't have kids, write that down. Chocolate chip cookies for dinner, not a good plan for your kids. So we tell kids, no, you can't have cookies for dinner. Do your kids say, yes, Father, who I love and respect. I see your wisdom. I humble myself past the Brussels sprouts. No. This... <laughs> Not in my household anyway, maybe in yours, but not in my household. They say, Daddy, why not? And I say, well, so wise, because I said so, right? <laughs> and then the kids are like, yes, Daddy, I see Pastor Brussels sprouts. No, they don't. They don't see it that way. Why, Daddy? Because I said so. Why, Daddy? Because I said so. Why, Daddy? Don't ask me again, right? <laughs> I said so. That settles it. As a parent, we have this veto power to end the conversation, right? My word is sufficient for you. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of teasing, but it's, it's actually true, right? We are smarter than our kids. We know more than our kids. We can teach our children all about the food guide pyramid and the reasons why we don't have chocolate chip cookies for dinner. Well, if you eat too many cookies, then you have to go to the dentist. And daddy doesn't want to pay the dentist to fix your teeth, you know? <laughs> If you touch that cookie, like gluten will spray out all over your body and envelop you in this cloud. We don't need that in your life, young man. And we know all the reasons why, but it's just shorter and quicker to say, because I said so, it's shorthand. And as parents, we wield this power in kind of two different ways. I think one time we tell our kids, because I said so, as a shorthand way of ending the conversation, right? I don't want to talk to you right now. We don't really mean that as parents, but sometimes we're tired, right? We're just tired. Pray for us, parents. Oh, man. I don't want to hear about the cookies. Stop it because I said so. Stop silence and distance sometimes in that relationship with our kid. We don't mean to create it, but by pushing them away and not engaging them with the truth, sometimes we create a little bit of a gap between us and between them. I think that's when we parents wield that power that we have, that knowledge, that wisdom that we have over our kids inappropriately. We divide ourselves from them, and we don't want to talk, we don't want to speak, we don't want to be seen face-to-face, -face. we just need some quiet. I think it's better to tell your kid, I know because I said so, and speak to that from a place of love and relationship and history that your child knows that you, that you care for them, that they can, in fact, trust you, and when we don't have time for a conversation, that's okay. Because I said so can be okay but only if we know that we trust each other in that family relationship. I think hand-waving away our kids' concerns as if they don't matter is poor parenting, right? And an I-said-so answer is fundamentally unsatisfying. But sometimes we come to God with these same types of questions, don't we? God, why? God, why not? God, how? God, how long? And we feel like he says to us, because I said so, stop, silence, distance. 
you feel like that sometimes? You cry out to the Lord and you don't hear him talk back. You seek the Lord and you don't feel him close to you. It feels like there's a gap between us and between him. One of the great gifts that we have as Christians is the written word of God. We find it in our scriptures. And over the last few months here at Three Crosses, we've been exploring some of the wisdom literature. These are books designed to help us live well in the earth. Have you guys been enjoying the wisdom literature series? I love it. I think it's great. So we started in the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs, I think, is a book for us that's really good when things are going well. Uh, Proverbs worldview is a very uh, simple one. That if you work hard, uh, good things will happen to you. If you treat your enemies kindly, that's better than treating them harshly. If you raise your kids well, they will grow up to be good people. It just makes sense. There's a lot of do's and don'ts. There's a lot of that checklist that I was talking about before. And that's why I love Proverbs, because that checklist mentality, it's very easy for me. I was raised on that. If I do the right thing, then the right result happens. This is kind of the message of Proverbs. But the author of Proverbs doesn't want to leave us there with just stuff to do. I think he culminates his message in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. I'm kind of calling this the key verse because I think it gets at the essential nature of true wisdom. Proverbs 9, 10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In the Hebrew mindset, this concept of knowledge has a relational capacity. It's not propositional truths or facts in our brain. True knowing the Holy One is an intimate relationship. For the author of Proverbs, that's wisdom. Do you know God? Do you see Him face to face? After we were done with our Proverbs section, we went to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, I think, is a book for us when things are hard to understand. When things are hard to understand. If you were with us, on the day we kicked off the Ecclesiastes segment, you might have seen that video on the screen. Do you guys remember this video? And it's like a bunch of guys, and they're smoking a pipe. And I was like, can we show that in church? Like, they're smoking. That's not okay. I don't think that's in the Bible. Maybe it's in Lord of the Rings. I get them confused all the time. But they're, they're smoking. What's the deal? And then the video brought out the idea that uh, in Ecclesiastes, there's this word hevel, which means breathiness or smoke or vapor or something hard to understand and hard to grasp. Because the truth is that even sometimes when we do the right thing, like Proverbs tells us to, the result doesn't match. And the author of Ecclesiastes helps us understand some of these truths. For example, you can eat right, you can exercise, and you can still develop a disease. It can happen. I've seen it happen. You can work hard at your job for decades. You can honor your boss. You can never be late. And you can get passed over for promotion from some loudmouth two cubicles down. Yes. <laughs> it can happen. We can pray continually for something, and we can still wait on God's answer. Why God? How God? How long? Ecclesiastes helps us when these things are hard to understand by summing things up in his key verse, which is Ecclesiastes 12, chapter 13, or chapter 12, verse 13, excuse me. And the author tells us that now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commands. This is the whole duty of mankind. Doesn't matter if you understand, doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't matter what you know, because you can't really know life is confusing. But 
fear God, keep his commandments. It's so close to the idea that we just saw in Proverbs 9. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But sometimes life isn't going well, and sometimes life isn't even confusing. Sometimes life is just unbelievably difficult. That's where I think the book of Job is good for us. Job is a book for when things are unbelievably difficult. My wife made you a promise today on social media that I would cry, right? And she's probably right. Um, because our family has been going through some things that are unbelievably difficult. I don't feel like I know why. I don't feel like I know how. I don't feel like I know how long these things are going to be happening. I feel like I can't possibly know why or how or how long. Some of you guys know, but we moved out here uh, about two years ago to California for many reasons, one of which was to be a part of this church family, which I'm so blessed by. Uh, however blessed Brian told you he was, I'm like 1% more blessed, you know? Just, <laughs> just keep it in perspective. We love it here at Three Crosses, and we came out to Three Crosses to be near to Tara's family, many of whom are here today, uh, to support me, and thank you, and take me to lunch. And Because uh, <laughs> um, we've been living in Oklahoma, about 2,000 miles away, for 15 years. It's a long time to be away from your family. I didn't grow up here in California, but um, Tara's family is my own, and we wanted our boys to know their grandparents. We wanted our boys to know aunts, uncles, cousins. We wanted to live life together and not just apart. And so through a series of miracles, we are out here. That is a long story, very short. We thought we were going to have, I don't know what we thought. You're kind of naive in life. You think you have time, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Life is good. Life will keep being good. Um, we had 18 months with my father-in-law before he passed. It's hard. That's uh, March, six months ago. It doesn't quit because everybody forgets. You still know and you still feel. You know things still aren't right and you still don't know why. One year, five years, ten years, I don't know. It'll never be okay. Death is never okay. But we have to carry it. It feels like we ask God, why are we hurting this way? Why did these things happen? Like he's saying, because I said so, silence, distance. I was telling you that story about having chocolate chip cookies for dinner. Once upon a time, last night, we gave our kids chocolate chip cookies <laughs> after dinner, okay? Almond flour, Trader Joe's, it's the best. <laughs> and we wouldn't give my son Gabriel, two years old, mind you, a second helping of cookies because we're good parents, right? <laughs> so what does any self-respecting grandchild do is go over there to Grandma's chair, hey, Grandma, you know, hook me up with some cookies. But he didn't ask because he knew we would hear and say no. He just pointed at the cookies, you know, trying to sneak it out under our nose. Probably if we hadn't seen, she would have given him the cookies, you know. <laughs> That's how grandmas operate and should operate, mind you. Uh, but what made that really sad is that she was sitting in grandpa's chair, and he wasn't there to be asked for the cookies. He would have given them to my son, and he's not there. Why? How long? silence. This is why I find Job 38 to be the key passage, not only in the book of Job, perhaps one of the key passages in all of Scripture, because when we cry out to him, Job 38 tells us the answer. Let's look at that today and see how the Lord wants to speak for himself. 
Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone when all the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. When I prescribed limits for it, I set bars and doors and I said, this far you shall come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you, Job, commanded the morning since your days began, caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under a seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. That's our reading for today. It's as if God is saying to us, I am great, I am eternal, I made everything, I know you can trust me because I said so. Because I said so. God's response then to Job's questions, to Job's crying out to him, is to reveal himself. To reveal himself. To show Job a glimpse of who God truly is is. Do we remember from Proverbs 9 and Ecclesiastes 12, if they can be believed and they can, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, if knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, Job here gains wisdom, he gains insight, he gains understanding. Everything changes. Everything changes. Uh, and author Peter Kraft puts it this way when he talks about Job's friends, who for 31 chapters are really happy to talk with Job about why Job's wrong or um, why the world works the way it does or, or philosophy or logic. It's just not helpful to know why. And Job isn't helped by them. Job, though, doesn't fall into that mistake of speaking only about God and about logic and about why. In fact, he demands of God. He says, let's put it out there. Let's measure my goodness against yours. Let's see who's in the right and let's see who's in the wrong. And we remember from Job chapter 1, Job is not in the wrong. Job is not suffering as a result of things he did. If anyone has a bone to pick with our Lord for unjust treatment, it's Job. But Job doesn't speak only about God. He speaks to God directly. He speaks to God, and you know what? God answers him. Isn't that amazing? We serve a living God who hung the stars, earth, moon, and still speaks to us. Because I said so, God says to Job, I am enough. In effect, God's answer isn't really an answer 
It's just to ask Job more questions. Where were you, Job? Do you know, Job? Have you done this, Job? Answer, of course, no. Job wasn't there. He didn't create. He doesn't sustain the universe. He doesn't know any of that stuff. There's three or four more chapters coming after this where God describes all the things Job doesn't know and hasn't done. It's kind of like that smart kid in class that made you feel dumb because your answers were never right enough. It feels, in a way, if we read this passage too quickly or too hastily, unsatisfactorily, like God just says, because I said so, silence, distance. Really, God? You're not going to tell Job the reasons why? You're really not going to explain why? You're really not going to tell him it's for your own good or whatever it is? You're not going to show him the scales of justice in balance? You're just going to say, I am enough? Seeing me is enough? You're just going to say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? That's it. But I think Job doesn't misunderstand the Lord as we are so quick to do. I think Job sees him rightly. Let's turn quickly over to Job chapter 42 and see how Job dealt with all of this. Does Job feel dismissed? Does Job feel let down? Does Job come back with more demands? You haven't even told me why, God. You haven't even told me how. You haven't even told me how long. I need that knowledge. I need that fact. I need that checklist. Just tell me what to do. Job responds here in chapter 42 in a little bit of a different way. The Scripture records that Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Verse 5 is very important. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you, and everything has changed. I no longer need to know why. I no longer need to know how. I no longer need to know how long, because seeing God for Job was enough. Enough. He doesn't need a balance of scales. He sees a holy creator God revealed, transcendent in his glory. What do we humans have to do with somebody like that? Job sees this gap. He sees this distance, and he repents. God is great. God is eternal. God made everything. Job's still in the dirt. Still lost his family, still lost his wealth, still lost his health, his wife turned on him, his friends tried to make it better, and they made it worse. Still happening. Still happening. But my ear has heard about you, God, but now my eye has seen you face to face. Let me ask you this morning, church, have you seen God in your own life, or have you just heard about him? There's a big difference, and this is where I think for me, as a young child, it was hard because I heard about God every week, every day. I read the Bible. It was about God. It was like dead words on a page. 
there's something about life and suffering that lets you see a living God truly revealed. We need that living God today. We don't need facts or logic. We need to see Him face to face. That's what God does about that distance between Job and Himself. He reveals Himself to Job face to face. And this is a great miracle. This is a very rare thing that happens throughout the Old Testament. Very few people got to see God the way Job did. It's a privilege. As if God says, you don't know, you can't possibly know, Job, but you see me. And that's enough for Job. But for us, we don't very often get to see God revealed in this way. It's not what's normal for us anymore. But we have an advantage that Job didn't have, which is that for us, God reveals himself through his son, Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 that throughout time and in various times and in various places, God has revealed himself in different ways, through the prophets or through the Bible or through different ways. But in these last days, the same days you and I live in, God has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2. I'd love if you could uh, turn there with me. Because there's Job suffering in the dirt. There's God revealed and holy. And all too often I feel like Job, stuck in the dirt, hurting, still needing. And I know that God is good. I know that God is great. But God still feels far away. Where's the gap? I can't fix that gap. So Paul tells us in Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Let's pause there. What does it mean to be in the form of God? Some translations will say, in very nature God. Paul's trying to make an equivalence between who Jesus is and between who God is, and that means when we see Jesus or we think about Jesus, we can think about Job 38 as if Jesus was asking us, were you there when I created everything? Were you there when I hung the stars and the moon and the skies and I designed the water and I built you and I created you special and breathed into you life? That's Jesus. Job 38 is Jesus. That's what it means to be in the form of God. Not a quick sentence on a page, but transcendent creator, king of the universe, God. Didn't consider that divinity as something to be gripped tightly and held onto he let go of a lot of that, not his divine essence, like he doesn't like he quit becoming God, but when he became a person, he lived like you and I did. He hurt like you and I do. He suffered like you and I do. Sometimes I think about Job and that sickness and that disease and that loss of family and that hopelessness and that feeling of abandonment before God so much that Job can cry out, how long, God, before I see you again? Reminds me of what our Savior cried out from the cross, God, why have you forsaken me? 
How did transcendent creator God, king of the universe, humble himself to be found as a person? Because there was that gap, you guys. Holy God, repentant, dusty people, and we couldn't make a way. God himself made a way. Paul goes on and he tells us that Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of of God the Father. There's a gap. I think we all feel that. Whether that gap is generated by your sinfulness or things you've done that separated you from God, we've all done it. Every last one of us. Whether that gap between you and the Lord right now is because you're suffering and you're hurting and God seems silent and you're angry with Him, there's a gap. Whether that gap is just because you don't know a lot about what it means to follow God, and you feel like this fog and this cloud, and you want to see God revealed. I think if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. He bridged the gap. He came near to us to bring us near to Him. That is the message of the gospel. That is the message of the scriptures, and that, I think, is why Job 38 sits at the center of the book of Job, wisdom lit, and our whole Christian faith. Where were we when God hung the stars and moon and earth and oceans? We were sinners. That's where we were. God came close to us. He made a way that we can be close to Him today. We don't have to think about God. We don't have to know facts about God. We don't have to just read about God. We can experience Him face to face. Have you done that? Have you experienced Jesus face to face? I believe that today can be your day. Whether it's the day you want to take your first step into faith and make yourself a follower of Jesus, whether it's you want to come back to Him, whether you just need to cry out to Him with someone, I think Jesus stands ready to receive you face to face. That's who our God is. He's a bridger of gaps. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. I don't know why don't know how, but he says so, and he can be trusted. It's true. 